Hey, what's, what's up, up, man? How you doing? Oh, not too bad. You? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Yeah, man. This will be fun. Yeah, um, for sure. I uh, I just finished. I'm doing like some baseline testing. What type of baseline testing are you doing right now? Oh man, the full the full like critical critical power like uh, spread. So today was five minutes all out, and then tomorrow will be the first time I've ever done like a blowout effort before a 20 minute test. Okay. So most of the time I just go a bit on for 20 minute and then like, just take like 93% of it or something. Um, and so are you, what are you going to use this for? Most people are um, like, so I'm switching coaches is the thing. Can um, we, okay. So aside from the first comment that you made about a, a piece of equipment, can we, can we use all this? Cause this is actually going to be, I'm just really, so I don't know if you want to talk about that or not talk about that. Yeah, no, no, of course. Um, okay. no, and it's, it's like a amicable switch and like really positive. Yeah. Uh, overall thing, but uh, so I basically, I worked with Ben Day for three years. Right. Um, and so started with him in a cat too, got super fast. Like his whole like methodology of coaching is fantastic. And like, basically you like have to be very accountable <laughs> to like riding in the correct zones and stuff. Cause like, if you can handle it, you're basically allowed to do it. Um, and he'll just like, let you ride yourself into the ground. And then when you do take a break or like, you know, he says, Hey, like chill out you just have this huge, like super compensation effect. And it was yeah. like really good. Um, but now um, I think I need somebody more like stateside and more available. Because okay. um, so Ben works with uh, bike exchange, super busy, like, you know, knows all the cutting edge science is like very in tune with, uh, you know, the, the latest and greatest on everything. Um, but dude, he's just like busy, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he's got side projects where he's like, in a leadership role. So like they take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, like it, you know, like I'm sure we'll get to it for like 2022 season. Like a lot of it was like the little things and like the, the gaps in like my understanding of how to handle travel or like specific days within a prep, you know, between races or, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like the, the very like minutia was where I really like lost things this year mm -hmm. or like the timing of like when you have to like, buckle down on diet things like that mm -hmm. you know you're a couple weeks off and you panic and it's like it just throws everything for a loop so having somebody who just has a little bit more space for mm -hmm. me to just be like hey double checking right say yes no hey let's let's do this instead instead so who are um, you switching to who's your new coach <laughs> ben sharp <laughs> so, okay yeah yeah so um, where's he out of uh right down the road so he lives in gun barrel um okay. i live in boulder so cool. yeah and he's like a still a, a beast racer. And so, you know, having the opportunity to ride or, or just do things, you know, where you can connect a little bit and it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily take time out of his coaching schedule. Yeah. Um, I think will be like, yeah, really beneficial to me. Well, that, I mean, I'm sure he's excited to have an athlete like you to coach. It's you're killing it. And so it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, when thanks. someone's really into it and obviously getting insane results, it's like, I'm sure he's like, yeah, this is awesome. This guy, I can go ride with this guy and like really dig into yeah. the, to the little things. Like you're there's so many little things to racing. And that's what I hope people that are new to racing get out of some of these podcasts. It's not just the watts and it's, and that was one thing. I mean, man, there's a million questions that I would ask you, but one thing is like you race a ton. So I think sometimes with, and one of the questions was, you know, Hey, how do you see yourself as a racer? Because sometimes when people are like, Hey, I'm a TT specialist, I think they overdo the TT specialist and that ends up hurting them by the time they get to their event. Cause they're doing the same damn thing over and over again. And so I, I'm, I'm gonna let you talk about it, but I was like scrolling through Strava just before we get on this. I'm like, let me, I've never actually, I'm trying to think of a podcast where with, with the event that I want to talk to you about, I'm like, oh, I wonder what he did the few weeks before. And there's some really interesting workouts. So we'll get into that. But um, one other thing. So I was trying to, I was trying to look up, like, I didn't get to listen to the podcast you did with Frank in February. So if we, if I ask you something and it's kind of like, you've already covered that you can give a shorter answer and we can just revert to that podcast. So you don't have to tell the whole same story again. Sure. Um, I tried to scroll through it to see what was already in there, but uh, yeah, it's, I hate making people repeat stuff. So, um, so I didn't send you these. Let's start with a like couple quick rapid fire. Yep. Um, it's usually like one or two choices and then we'll get into like the intro, who you are <clears throat> from your words, go through kind of like just a quick history of how you got into cycling. And then, one of my questions was, Hey, what are you doing as we roll into October? And maybe we can talk more about the testing and kind of go from there. Does that sound good to you? 
Perfect. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so even as a, well, my first question, what are you a TT specialist? Are you a road racer? Are you a crit guy? How do you see yourself as a cyclist in terms of racing? Yeah, I think I'm a, like a, a long range breakaway specialist who mm. is also just very committed to team success mm-hmm. and like has kind of an eye for, for technology. So, um, cool. That's all you get. That's all you get. Yeah. Long, long ride that you prefer the most four hours, five hours, six hours or other. Ooh, six hours. Because okay. when you get to five, it's like you get a, a moment of reckoning and you figure out whether you've executed up to that point or not. And like, that's always, you feel it no matter what, like no matter how many six hour rides you do, you feel it. And I, was, I think it's cool. I was just talking to an athlete and he was like, well, I'm doing four hours. It's like the same. It's almost the same as six. I said, Oh, my friend, four and five is very different. Five and six is very different. Three and four are kind of similar, similar. Yeah. Six is a bit, is a big ride. Um, short, long or medium taper. Short. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Higher low socks. Hi. Two things. Obviously, you have more, but two things that you need for a long ride. Uh, food and water. <laughs> okay. Speed suit, speed suit, or bibs oh. and jersey. Uh, bibs and jersey. Uh, what's your preferred tire width? Right now, probably twenty-eight because okay. I race on gravel wheels. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wax chain, wet lube, or something else wax if it's like new out of the box if i have to do it then uh i use rock and roll gold okay i think i i actually can't remember the name of what i use which is i'm not a tech person and but a lot of people that talk about wax chains and they're like well actually i don't use it all the time this is a total pain in the ass i'm like you guys are trying to convince me to use it like this is not my (laughs) wheelhouse okay uh tubes or tubeless tubeless um in the gym or not worth it in the gym cool all year as much as I can. Yeah. Cool. Uh, group ride or solo smash? Solo smash. And then last one, last two, stage race or one day race? Parkour dependent. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. let's open with that. What do you mean? Um, I'd say if it's a hard one day, then one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're just different. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Who is Zach Gregg? Well, um, I am a racer for Project Echelon. Um, I do a lot of work with Project Echelon's veteran nonprofit wing, um, which is essentially how the team originated. So um, Eric Hill, the owner, partnered up with another Eric to provide uh, endurance uh, kind of coaching and support for veteran athletes. Um, And through the collection of those sponsors, was able to kind of uh, start a club team. And, uh, so now we serve a tremendous amount of veterans. Um, it's a huge fulfilling fun part of my life. Um, and the, the racing, the race team wouldn't be the same without it. Um, so in addition to that, I coach full-time with fast cat coaching mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, and, and definitely like uh, into the tech, into the, the physiology I have masters in, in exercise physiology from Midwestern state. Um, and I guess I'm defending two time national, uh, time yeah. champion. Yeah. Badass dude. That is, uh, and we'll get into the Watts, but silly, silly long range Watts, which plays well to also your breakaway artist, uh, motif. Yeah. So how'd you get into cycling? How long have you been doing? I think, did you start racing in 2016? If I looked at it. Okay. And how did you end up on a bike and get into racing? So, um, I played college lacrosse. Um, so yeah, like played a bunch of sports as a kid. Um, yeah. And so I transferred, um, from division two school to division two school, my senior year and ended up at Colorado Mesa. Um, I was pretty beat up. So, uh, I was using a mountain bike to commute across campus because I had an ankle and a labrum tear. So Mm. it was like walking with a backpack was excruciating, um, from kind of both ends, like weight bearing and having something on your shoulders. And, um, I was actually approached by someone in my class. They're like, Hey, a mountain bike, do you ride? And I was like, yeah, of course. And, um, so she turned out to be like a fantastic rider and like, uh, was totally transformative and like taking me under her wing. And because I was like a total meathead and like crashed a lot, I was fun enough to like let hang out with them, even though they were all like complete savages on bikes. Um, and yeah, so I caught the bug, got a bunch of surgeries done, um, immediately hired a cycling coach and lied to him and told him that I just liked riding the trainer all summer. And, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So I like got a power meter. I did all this stuff because um, my brother-in-law uh, raced uh, cyclocross and, and downhill professionally. So he was like, oh, you need this, this and this. You should get a coach like if you want to train. And so, yeah, the whole summer of, of rehab, I just trained and did FTP and all kinds of crazy stuff on the trainer in the basement. Just smash the trainer. Yeah. Um, Ooh, that's great. That's actually, I started with a trainer. Someone told me to get it. They're like, get a trainer. I'm like, what a coach? Like, no, a thing you see, you can ride your bike. In yeah. the basement. <laughs> You're in Rochester. It's going to be really cold. Yeah. And yeah, someone said it would cork hadn't come out. It's coming like, we, we got to get these corks. I'm like, what the hell is a cork? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, was, I was still trying to find out what bike regimen. They're like, just look on bike red. Yeah. So fun yep. to think yep. back to that. So and, you're doing... Um, as we roll into October, so are you doing this uh, critical power testing for Ben Sharp just so he can get a sense of who you are power-wise, or is it what? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I think it's a it's a couple different things, right? So when you start with a new coach, it's it's always like just a, a wave of information exchange. Totally. Um, and so I actually have a history of uh, riding way too hard when I get back into uh, into things because I'm like very good at like planning and goals and like visualizing things, but I'm also just like very excitable. And uh, so I think in, in his own way, this is a way to like actually figure out how hard I should be going right now. Um, and then like, when you know, you actually have to do something with that information. And so I'm smart enough to like not ride myself into the ground yeah. if I've like done the testing. So yeah. It's, cool. it's, it's a little rough, like doing it the first, uh, I guess I've been back riding for six days. So, um, you know, it's a wake up call, but, um, it's also just a, a matter of like, can you put your ego aside and just do the darn thing? Uh, which I think is cool. Yeah. hundred percent. What's, I think the biggest thing that I, I'm excited to hear about, and then we can get into more of the smaller training things the month before the TT Nats win. So this is at the end of July. Um, one thing that was really interesting, um, and I'll link to this if I remember, the, you had a podcast on the Fast Cat podcast with Patrick Welch and Liam Flanagan, and Patrick won the T, under 23 TT, is that correct? Yep. And he had made a comment of, you know, he also races a lot, and he was saying, I forget how the moderator asked it, but it was sort of like, hey, what are you doing the month before? And I think a lot of people would think, that's when I'm in the wind tunnel, that's when I'm fiddling, and that's when I'm like, this focus and he's like oh no that was in december and january like all that stuff is done way before and then and i want to let you tell this but just kind of as i think you know a lot of athletes follow other athletes on strava and try and pick details if i look through you i'm like oh dude this dude races a lot which i already knew from like instagram and things like that you did make a comment that you had a tt bike block you went home, which was to Roanoke, which is super cool. You like casually blasted a couple 20 minute efforts at five and a half watts per kg. I want to hear about this. You said the title was like, I can't wait till these TT workouts are done. And it was yeah. something <laughs> like a 15 minute five watt per kg, a bunch of 90 second, maybe really high VO2 max, even above that. And they look like some tempo finishers. And then you guys had pronats. And then you went and just slayed and won the championship. So like, there's a lot going on there that I don't think many people would see that as a normal run up. So hearing it from you, you're rolling in through April. Maybe let's go two months back. Like, how are you preparing for this? This was, this was one of your number one goals, wasn't it? It was pro Nats, amateur right. Nats. And let me let you take it from here. But that's kind of like how I saw it. And so correcting that was wrong, that was right. Just, how did that all go down? I mean, su such a huge goal and exciting, like that you pulled it off. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, so on, on our team's front, like the, there is like a focus on time trialing, right? So, and we were able to pull it off this year, um, that the only time trial we didn't win was pro Nats, um, as a team, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, like you said, so when you, you said as in any stage race and like any time trial you guys go to, yeah, yeah, any, anything in the U.S. <laughs> so um, crazy, dude. The only thing we didn't win was Pro Nats, and we got third, fourth, fifth, sixth at Pro Nats. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's cool. Like, um, there is, like, a level of information sharing that's, like, very high and, like, super important in time trialing because we are, like, resource limited. Um, so it is, like, well, what's this guy wearing? What's this guy doing? What does this position look like? And then the limited time that we do. So we did wind tunnel testing this year. Um, but we had so many new guys that I didn't go. So when did like, you guys do that? Is that in the winter? Uh, like February. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it was right after team camp. So like the beginning of March. 
Cool. And um, so we had Valley of the Sun as first first time trial. Everybody sharing pictures and talking about positions and things in the lead up to that. That's like a good baseline time trial. Um, and then with the power and kind of the simplicity of the VOS course, we put in a best bike split and it gives you like a CDA estimate. Mm. Um, and just looking at pictures and kind of just overall execution, you can get an idea of like what things you should be working on, you know? Um, what so when I was working examples there, be like working on holding position, working on getting more like shoulder shrug, like those types of things or. Yeah. Position maintenance, um, is something that I like say a lot and like really hammer home. So, um, you know, even talking about Patrick, like we're working on shrugging in the same way that we're working on like extending time to exhaustion at, at threshold so like when you go out on your tt but like the first time you try and shrug you can probably do it for like 30 seconds before your neck really starts hurting um but at the at the end of it like you end up when you start suffering like you would like relax into the position and like try and take that strain away and you're not pulling yourself into it as much anymore you're like mm. sinking down as a way to almost relieve the tension through like your whole like fascial chain through your back. Cause it's just screaming at you. Uh, Cause you always want to sit up. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that kind of thing, like you look at VOS and it's like, did my power decline near the end or like was, you know, it was kind of crosswindy. Did I struggle in crosswinds because I wasn't like super closed and, and consistent in the position um, those kind of things. And it, and it really does start in February with that. And you kind of carry it on and you, and you make small adjustments and, and things. Um, and then by May, like you should be done with, with any kind of adjusting. Um, but this year I was having trouble with like uh, climbing power on the time trial bike. So like I was, I was like a speed demon, you know, if it was like 35 miles an hour, I could put out pretty close to threshold and be totally fine. But as the speed decreased and there was like a, a bigger kind of like strength aspect to it. I was having trouble. Mm. So I got a bike fit like three weeks before pronats and uh, they'd raised my saddle almost two centimeters. And so it was like go time to adapt to, to that new position um, oh. in the build up to that. Yeah. Wow. What made you do, what made you decide to do that? Just well, because I mean, of the climbing and you were like, something's off. Yeah. So it, at, at Redlands, it was like uh, I KO him the downhill uh, at like, four watts a kilo. So I did the the least amount of power and went 40 seconds faster on the downhill than anyone else. And then when I turned around to try and like jam it, like I had nothing, I was kind of like blocked. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. So I got like uh fourth at, at Redlands and I was like very, very into like not having that happen again. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it came down to like, I was doing some, some intervals and I just did, you know, like two of them on the flats and then two of them on the climbs and the climb ones were just like suffer fests. And I was like, all right, we got to fix something. Interesting. Can you put out, what's the Watts like on the TT bike versus a road bike? Similar. I'd say probably 10 Watts difference now. Um, it, uh, bef- so the, before the bike fit, I couldn't even do VO2 max power on the TT bike for more than like maybe a minute. Wow. Um, and then now, like, it's pretty close. Like, those, those mm-hmm. things you saw, like, before amateur nationals were pretty close to, to probably what I would do on a road bike. Because okay. um, that, that was all in, like, shrug position, no, no real, like, sitting up between efforts, like, mm-hmm. um, you know. But that takes time, right? Like, that takes years of, of, like, dialing in your position. And you basically just, like, ping pong between, like, super aero and comfortable until mm-hmm. you find something that's like a little bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. And you can also do good power. And so, yeah, it's like our Miss. eyeball tunnel has gotten way better over the years. Sorry to cut you off. It's so, I think it's really important for people to hear that. This takes years. Mm-hmm. People talk about like these changes and it's like a three month thing. And it's like, no, like someone gets a TT bike and they're upset that they're like, the Watts might be different. And I'm like, well, your position's probably off. You're also probably not used to riding. and you've never ridden this bike off. And it's, Everybody wants it so fast. Years, people. Years. I mean, this is not overnight success. So, so then May hits, and you're probably having a ton of races. Then, right? How does that? Yeah, it's more like May, June, going and then into the, the big day. Yeah. So we uh, we all went to Redlands. Uh, we won the overall. Had great success there. Um, went to tour the Gila, and uh, kind of had equally good success there. Um, and then I wasn't on the Joe Martin roster until like six days beforehand uh so it was like hey man we need you and it's like all right let's go and so yeah it was like there was some space in there where i wasn't riding the tt bike very much um 
And it was like, you know, you, you have to get better on every front. So like the, I wasn't happy with my crit at Joe Martin. I didn't feel like I could help the team as much as I should have been. Uh, so I went to Memorial day weekend in, uh, in Iowa. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was like uh, incredible. Like, just the hardest racing. Like if, yeah, for anybody on the pod who, who thinks like speed week is crazy, like Memorial day weekend in Iowa is just as crazy. Snake alley. I, li- I'm, so I'm scrolling through Strava. I'm like, what the hell is this dude doing in Iowa? Like why? So that, that explains it. Okay. So yep. Joe Martin snake alley. And then you. And then straight back- to Roanoke essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I went to altitude for like four days and then uh, went to Virginia. And that's where it was like very, very focused TT bike stuff. Um, you know, fortunately, like my parents lived 20 minutes away from the TT course. So I was able to get out on that a couple of times. So um, cool. And then that's where the position maintenance stuff comes in, you know, where you really have to ride every interval in the position that you're going to race in. Um, because if you can't calibrate like those efforts and like translate them into race efforts then they're kind of useless then you're just doing the same thing as you'd be better off on a road bike at that point mm-hmm. um so yeah like some of those i think they were like you know kind of over under style stuff um but i did them yeah on on the course out and then on the course back um and so yeah it was cool i mean the when you go out on that course it's like slightly downhill and it was essentially more watts than it did in the race so you're going like fast fast and yeah. if you're not like prepared for it it can really kind of like beat you up a little bit Interesting. So are you thinking how, especially from like the physiological side, most of the stuff that you've done, I mean, you had say through like three weeks in Roanoke, are you just like checking the boxes? Hey, I'm good. I'm cranking 20 minute efforts. I'm doing some VO2 stuff to stay sharp. Like, you know, the train, what do you think is the biggest, and correct me if if I'm wrong, like you're not necessarily like training so much for the TT in three weeks. Like you're making sure you're ready to go, but like, what do you think is the most important thing for your training of what the, the, your winning time was like 35 minutes. Is that how long? I think so. Something like that. So like for a big massive 35 minute effort, what do you think is the most important thing before all of that? Mm -hmm. Are you talking about like specific workouts? Just like, so we know there's no like one secret workout, but tell us the secret workout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, What, what, or what do you think is most important? Like big, long ride, like you become as aerobic as possible. Like, Hey, I worked more VO2 max because you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. how do you, how did you see that? Yeah. I think, um, more over under style stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, because like, so there's, there's like a, an entirely different like set of problems that you have to solve when you race in the East coast in June and July. And those are like, how do I go as fast as possible without overheating? Mm. Um, like, where do I, like, what's my actual threshold when my core temperature is elevated and it's like hot and humid and there's no cooling. Mm. So like a lot of it is more about like calibrating to the environment. Mm. And then, um, so yeah, I did a lot of sauna, sauna prep um for those efforts also um just because i mean in knoxville last year it was like 100 degrees at like eight in the morning Mm -hmm. and so like you you don't necessarily fear the heat but you have to respect it and do everything you can to like prepare for it um Mm -hmm. so with that in mind you can't do a full training schedule um because basically what you're doing is you're sauning after you're riding and it impairs your recovery so you know you have to just kind of scale back a little bit and maybe that's like a long range taper approach with heat acclimatization stuff uh involved in it how long are you sitting in the sauna for after you're you go for a six hour ride then you sit in the sauna is that like a protocol you so, do yeah i mean it would be like i think i did like three three weeks of four to five days a week and oh, then it wow. would be like um Damn. everything but the like most uh lengthy day of the week i would sauna, okay. and then uh like no recovery day sauna so is that like a half an hour thing? Yeah. 25 minutes to a half an hour. Um, and do you have a sauna or do you go to a gym or I something? I just went to a globo gym. Yeah. Okay. And sat there with all the other sweaty dudes and um, <laughs> it's, it sucks. I would way rather have my own sauna, but it's just like convenient yeah. to go there and do it. Yeah. Um, wow. That's and, okay. That's cool. Tell me about these over-unders that you're doing. Anything specific? Yeah. Do you give them? Do you... Um, so, I mean, essentially you're just like picking what you think your threshold is on the time trial bike. And then it's like sweet spot or, um, almost going by heart rate. Um, Mm. if the effort doesn't make sense to you, especially like the first couple of times you do it, Mm -hmm. um, 
where like you want to pick a number for the unders where you're actually seeing your heart rate decrease through the effort or at least like find a new steady state. Um, and then the overs are kind of in increasing duration. So you're like actually getting practice at clearing lactate throughout the, the entire effort. Um, and then at the end is, you know, the five minute blaster at the end at, at like threshold is just to like kind of make you hurt and, and get a good workout in. Um, so yeah, I think it was like kind of three, three under two over, and then it just added a minute to the over every time until you got to 20 minutes, I think. So it was like three, two, three, 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 four, three, five. That it's not good math, but it's something like that. Yeah. 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 No, that's tough. And so the over you're doing, like, are you doing, um, like 105%, 400 Watts, whatever, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a sucker to ride at 400 Watts because it's such like a clean number compared to like 395. Yeah. Um, that I'll just ride at that. If it says go a little bit above threshold, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Very cool. Dude. I love it. Um, so let's, okay, wait, so then you get in there and you're racing and you, I guess, where do we leave off? Like maybe like three weeks out. So you're at home, you had about three weeks. Yeah. And then there's like these, and it's just checking in and then you go rip it. No. So there's the VO two things that you saw were like something I've never done, um, until this year. So it was, uh, I think it was two minutes at like 120% or essentially by feel it's like, yeah, with, with, uh, with Ben day, a lot of it is like, Hey man, just be realistic on the day and get everything done kind of even paced. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably like 440, 460, like 110%, 115% of FTP for mm-hmm. two minutes in the position, then 30 seconds off. And you repeat it mm-hmm. six times in a block mm-hmm. and two times per, like per workout. Yeah. Um, you did a bonus so- one in there. Cause I counted 13. So was- Oh really? Um, <laughs> maybe <let's> hey. have- <laughs> <laughs> extra credit. Uh, damn it. Yeah. And so it was like, uh, they're really hard, man. And like, when you, when you get towards the end of the session, all you want to do is, is stand up or like, you know, kind of come out of position and like take deep breath and those kind of things. And it's, it's like, yeah, it's like a mental battle in a lot of ways of like your legs can do it, but how bad are you willing to like have the rest of your body hurt? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I think they make a big difference. And then why is that? Why do you think it makes a big difference? Um, it just goes back to the like position maintenance thing because you're going to okay. get to that yeah, point yeah. in a time trial where like everything hurts and there's like, in the same way, like pro runners, you see like half of them, you know, and it's usually the latter half of the pack, like their shoulders come up and there's a lot of tension through their whole body because they're trying to like force their way to the end of the effort. Whereas the front pack still look like they're not even trying. And mm-hmm. like that relaxation under like significant load is something that they've trained um, over the course of years. And it's something, I mean, you even see it in, in time trialists, right. Where they like, they like buckle down and their position almost gets better as they suffer more. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's obviously places to like take a little break and shake things out. But like when it's, when it's go time, like you can't even pick your head up, you know, because it's so much disturbance and arrow. And I would think too, and I don't know if this is correct, but something that I try to remind myself of if I'm doing a VO2 max workout, I remember how much that sucks so that if I'm doing a threshold workout, I'm I'm like, okay, this is longer, but it's nowhere near as hard. And if you're doing nearly almost the same amount of time at a whole whopper kg higher, granted it's split up a little bit, but like maybe on race day, there's that thing in the back of my mind, like, okay, this isn't that bad. I'm like, I can freaking do this. And a little bit like pep talk and reassurance and you know, whatever goes on in the brain, but I think the harder, as stupid as it sounds, the harder makes the less hard easier. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, yeah, I totally agree. So what, what do you, as a coach, um, and shout out to Frank, I was a fast cat athlete back in 2010, I want to say. Nice. And so we did a pod. Yeah. Tons of respect for Frank. Um, I know you had a, so Ben was your coach. You've got a new coach now. You are a coach. Why do you, what do you get out of having a coach? You, and you've, you know, you know, exercise fizz. Um, what's the whole, why? Um, I, I'd say in basic terms, like having somebody to act as a sounding board um, who is more experienced than I am. Um, so that there's at least like eyes on my training. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think as like, I definitely have two kind of personalities, you know, like I have the coach and then I have the athlete 
and the athlete in me sometimes is a little manic or like uh, scatterbrained, right? Because, you know, you, you have to work and you have to like be organized in other parts of life. And, and then some things kind of suffer. Um, so having somebody like uh, who shares the vision of like where I'm going and what I should be doing and the timing of things and like uh, all of that is really important to me. Um, mm. And cause like, as my own coach, I think I just ride myself on the ground, even like knowing that I shouldn't be. Um, I just really, really love to train. So yeah. having somebody be like, no, man, it's October. Like, just shut up, take your 14 hours and like go, you know, <laughs> I think it, it's like, it's big for me, you know, um, especially coming from another sport where it's always like, you know, every day was hard and like, it's just like on the grind or, or whatever, like that, that mentality like kind of carries over still. Um, and I'm a big talker, right? Like I, I'm, I'm sure there's the same way where like you, you spend all day like talking about other people's goals and you're like genuinely interested in them. Mm-hmm. But then when it's like your turn, you're always like, oh yeah, man, it's going great. But then having the the opportunity to like sit down and like open the book and be like, yeah, I, I like really want to do this or I'm struggling with this. Like, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, those conversations are like super valuable to me. 100%. What do you, uh, you mentioned like, Hey, I'm going to do 14 hours and I want to ride 25 this week. What do you see in the big picture of a year of training volume and intensity? Obviously this is like a huge question, but, um, you know, I was previously coached by Tom Bell. And one of the things that we joked about was he's a big volume guy and I love to ride my bike. He's like, okay, one thing we need to watch on each other is I'm going to let you ride maybe a little bit more than you need to, but he was um, there's an interesting paper. I don't know if you've ever seen Road to Gold. It's about Nordic skiers. Okay. I should, I gotta do like a podcast on this or something, but Tom was big into it. And they're in order to I won't spoil the paper, but it's basically you had to win, I think, like an Olympic medal or more. And there was maybe like 14 athletes they followed. And how do they actually prepare? It's pretty interesting, but huge volume um in probably their months are different because they're nordic skiing but like our base season Mm -hmm. are you big volume then and then shift more towards intensity for racing are you like when will you pick up the volume if you're only going to do 14 hours now because it seems like you ride a lot if i looked Mm -hmm. on strava you're at like twelve thousand miles or something already so what how do you see i will make it two questions how do you see volume over the year and then how do you where does intensity come into play yeah um I think I, I like doing the volume. Um, and I think as long as I keep it at true, like endurance pace, um, I can handle it really well. Um, but kind of as that like breakaway rider and like TT guy, I did a lot of like kind of medium intensity stuff. So like extensive tempo, um, and that stuff makes you really tired. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so basically like, uh, a lot of, a lot of my training in the past has been kind of like four day blocks since I'm, you know, like, uh, fortunate enough to have a really flexible schedule. And it just goes like you lift on, on day one, you do big gear work. The second day you do long tempo and then you do an endurance ride. Um, and so kind of in that flow, it ends up being like kind of 20 hour weeks and things like that. Um, I might try something a little different this year and do a little bit more total riding volume with a little bit less total intensity. Um, because what, what'll happen is like my heart rate will get a little tamped down and I'll like be like, well, I'm still at 160 heart rate and then just ride the tempo at like dumb, dumb pace. And, um, it just makes me really flat. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, throughout a year, I think I aim for like nine, hundred to a thousand hours. And then like life happens and racing happens and travel mm-hmm. happens and you end up with somewhere around eight fifty. Cool. Well, so it's interesting that you, you're comment about long tempo because I was for myself kind of getting into long tempo. And I know maybe, I don't know, there's a lot of good webinars out there and like go longer. I want to say maybe five years ago, it was like super popular. I was like, I just got to go longer. And I was doing mm-hmm. some like two hour intervals and just what you said, I just started noticing I got really tired, which in the moment it was two hours of tempo. It wasn't that bad, but it was like the accumulated when I looked back at three months and all of a sudden it became racy. I was like, I feel kind of flat. I think it's this long tempo, but you still do it. So is it just smaller doses of it or because it kind of like freaked me out from really long stuff. Like I don't really ever do anything more than 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know. I always wonder, like, should I go back to it a little bit? Should I not? What do you think about it? Like, 
Yeah, I always think like itself, right? it's it's pacing and it's fueling more than it is actually like the execution of it. That's okay. the the like secret sauce. Um, yeah. Everybody rides their tempo a little bit too hard and then they underfuel for the most part. Um, so yeah, doing it at like the classic like eighty percent heart rate max um, is a good kind of baseline to do it. But that should be like the average or even the max heart rate you use. So it's almost like blocks of high endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in my opinion. And then from there, you can kind of progress to like tempo with bursts mm-hmm. and things where like you are accumulating and clearing blood lactate. Um, and that keeps you from overriding because basically you're like waiting for your heart rate to drop kind of below your average so that you can do the next burst. Um, I like those a lot. Those were a fast cat special during the winter. If we were stuck on the trainer, like maybe two months yeah. before race season, I'm like, these are good. I still, people like them too. It's, mm-hmm. it, I think it achieves a lot and uh, they don't even have to be that long, but okay. That, um, so would you say you, what would be your favorite workout? Just not one that you think is the best one that you're just like, I love doing this. I love long tempo. <laughs> <laughs> and I love riding awesome. at almost sweet spot. And yeah, every, every year it feels like I work up to almost three hours on broken and, um, it is just like a KG bomb and you're eating just like every 10 minutes. And like, it's, it's just cool. It's a cool feeling. Like, cause no one can, like, I'm really good at it. Like not, not many people want to even like try half of that distance, you know? <laughs> and you just like, it just, and you said unbroken, just three hours of yeah. lock. And how often do you do that? That's usually like the final one or final two. So, but yeah, like two by 60 is, is like a pretty typical, like kind of December, uh, block of tempo. Okay. And are you doing that a couple times a month? Yeah. Every four days, <laughs> every four days. Holy crap. Okay. <laughs> Dang dude, man. On the so pedals. I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. Like I don't recommend it, but I love it. I don't, I don't have athletes <laughs> do that like quantity of, of tempo for the most part, like it is based on kind of like what, you know, it's, it's based on the data, right? Does her heart rate go crazy after 25 yeah. minutes or is it like straight as narrow till 50? Right. Um, but yeah, personally, I just love it. I don't okay. know. There's nothing st- sadistic about it and you get so tired and you have to eat so much and it's the just fun. KJs. Yeah, that is, a, I'm, I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> what's uh let's talk about the lifting so if you're lifting once every four so if you do four days and then you just take one rest day and then four more um so it's like uh the fourth day is a rest day essentially oh, okay um yeah and so this year could be totally different but that's what i've done the last three years um so you're lifting every four days then what are you mm-hmm. what are you doing in the gym um kind of total body stuff and you know the lifting doesn't really change a whole lot uh other than just like general reps throughout the kind of progression of the season. Um, so yeah, squats, some single leg work, um, either that's like single leg, leg press, cause it's like safe, um, or like some Bulgarian split, split squats. Yeah. Um, and then usually like a push and a pull motion for upper body. So pull-ups and like a row and like a shoulder press are all kind of fair game. And then, uh, some like TT specific core work, um, uh, which I hate but um, has made a big difference in just like general stability on the bike. Okay. Do you find that beneficial also then? I mean, what core work are you doing? And I would even see that just for long road races, especially in the breakaway or being super aero. Um, I started doing that. Have you seen the foundation video? It's like 10 years old. But yeah. And yeah. there's a new one even. There's so a new one. I don't like the new one as much. There's, really? <laughs> I like the inward tilted feet a little bit it like feels kind of weird when, when, yeah. when you go into the uh founder position but it is like i just joke right foot forward left foot back yep <laughs> yep so what's the what's the core uh what are the top top three to five core for riding your bike okay i like a like a v up or a dead mm. bug where it's kind of like alternating arm and leg motion Ooh. um some kind of like anti-rotation work um so you know if you use like a a cable or a band that's attached to the wall and you basically hold your arm straight out in front of you with one leg forward one leg back um and so it's it's like uh yeah yeah so you're staying forward and then the the pulling motion of whatever you're hanging on to is trying to like deviate you from the straight line forward 
Um, mm. and so it's really good for all those kind of like deep core muscles, uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, aren't really activated by like a plank or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I still do planks, uh, kind of in TT position or, uh, like a mountain climber, you know, mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. uh, you can use like a furniture mover under your feet, like the little plastic slips. And, uh, this is like a Victor Campanaert's one and oh, really? mountain climbers with your arms on a BOSU ball in TT position and your legs kind of alternate moving back and forward. Um, How long do you do that for? Uh, I'm pretty soft. I don't know, like 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. I was like picturing Zach Greg doing this for like 30 minutes watching a TV show or something. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, I'm like not, I'm not good at any of this stuff, but I do do it and recognize like the importance of, of doing it. Yeah. It, core is I think underrated as much as it's talked about and strength, just super, super underrated. I, I don't, I don't understand it. Hey, I'm going to get strong. I'm going to build more lean muscle and more power. Nah, it's not going to make me faster. I, just right. I struggle with that. Let's talk about, I don't want to take up uh, your whole afternoon here. Um, let's talk racing real quick. Just what's the uh, biggest goal for 2023? Yeah. So this is a good one. Um, I think in 2022, my goal was literally like win every time trial, help the team. Um, and it's amicable, like, you know, everybody kind of understands it. Uh, but I'd like to get more specific this year as far as the stuff on the road that I'd like to do well in. Um, so kind of hard one days, uh, even within a stage race would be really important to me. Um, Sunset Loop is a great example. Uh, seriously, like one of the most fantastic circuit races on a bike super hard super tactical you know you got to be good at everything to even like make the finishing group uh so doing good there um and then really you know like hard hard one day stuff or days where like uh people let me get in the break so you know like uh it, one of the long road days at joe martin um i'm pretty resilient my sprint doesn't really like go away i just never get a chance to use it <laughs> so um yeah. Having, having like individual success within like the team goals, uh, for 2023 will be a big addition to cool. the main goal of winning every time trial like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's even more like realistic this year, which sounds kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just no excuse for me not to, like I have, we have the best equipment. Like I know the stuff, um, I'm totally cool doing the training. So yeah, that's probably the main goal cool. and it helps the team, right? Like, if I'm doing it, I understand all the stuff I can like pass it on to everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, you go one through five, at a stage yeah. race and it's basically over for everybody else. And shout out to project echelon. I've really enjoyed following you guys. I mean, it's, uh, just dominating at the races that you should dominate at and then dominating at races that people are like, Oh damn, those dudes are here to play too. Okay. Uh, yeah. Killer 2022. It'll be exciting to see what you guys do next year. What's you made the comment of, you know, racing happens and things happen in life and you guys race a lot. You're traveling all over the place. Uh, Stephen Bassett had made a comment of bringing, creating a dojo on the road. And so what do you think keeps you together from, you know, it's a lot of athletes don't go and race three weekends out of the year. And that can just get crazy, especially when you guys are going all over the country um, and beyond what helps you stay together so that when you're coming to the line on race day, you feel ready. Yeah, this is a good question. Um, I think I like start with like a checklist and, and the things that like are important to me, I make sure to bring myself. Um, so I have a peanut allergy. So I travel with like my own almond butter. Um, You're that dude on the airplane. Damn it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no. And, and thankfully it's not like anything serious. So, Good. um, but yeah, things like that. I think you, you really have to like kind of tear down like what your, your weekend looks like and what you like actually need. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, um, guys are traveling with bags of protein cause they're not sure if there's enough in the trailer or, mm -hmm. you know, we're really good about getting recovery meals from just like really creative places. And, um, I think one of the unique things about project echelon is, is kind of in its, in it's like a founding and like that we've all kind of grown as a group. Like we really, really enjoy being around each other. Um, so it's not like, I don't ever have to like get away from everybody else, uh, within the confines of like a race weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, 
like the only thing I want to do is do well so that we can like hang out and everybody be in a good mood after the, totally. after the race. But like, and it's totally unique, right? Like I've played other sports where that's not the case. And like, mm-hmm. if you do well, people are pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, it's totally, it's, it's its own race environment. And I try and help other people understand like how valuable that is to like inner peace <laughs> yes. when you're traveling together so many, so many weeks out of the year. So my next question, but I don't want to forget to ask you this one. Uh, I want to hear like, what are the five things that you bring that you have to bring? But I think that's really, there's going to be a ton of cat fives, fours, and threes that listen to this versus people that are at your level. And I actually made a little podcast about like, should you join a team? And someone, I always get the question about who, which team should I join? I'm like, who do you ride with? Who do you like? Who do you want to hang out with? Do not join a team because you get free chamois butter and like a 20% discount. That will end poorly many times. It might not, but it very well could. So it's really good for hearing people for people to hear that from you at that level of I love my teammates. I want to hang out with them. And then I want to do well so that like everyone's stoked and we're going to wherever to eat. And there's just a good vibe. This is this has to be fun, even when you're winning national championships. Totally. Like it is I'm love that you said that. It's just so important to hear. Um five things that you have to bring on the trip. Uh, man. Okay. So this is actually, this is a, this is like a a personal insight is like, I am so go with the flow that like, even on race morning, like I'll like, if there's no food, I'll just like ride somewhere and get food. So like, um, I'm that guy. So I think obviously like the laptop is big, um, to just work on, Mm -hmm. um, gotta have my like plasticky slip on cheapo Burks, uh, for like before and after the race. Um, those are big. Um, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, you're I'm just you're so flowing. chill with, okay. with a lot of this stuff that it's like if it was uh, like missing, I don't, I wouldn't have missed it. Yeah, um, I think that's good. That suits. I don't, I don't get hyped up before races. I don't like take a whole bunch of supplements. Like, it's I'm like chill to a fault sometimes. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even think I have five things that like I have to have like kit, helmet, like you know, just very, very simple. Um, yeah. Okay. What do you, <laughs> My <almond> what, butter. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What's, uh, is there, is the mindset different at all of when you roll up to a one, two race versus when you're at a UCI Joe Martin race and maybe, I mean, it, you guys are one of the best te- I mean, it's hard to say like, you're not the big dogs on that level because you're not a right. pro team, but you're racing pretty damn well. So it's hard to even say that, but is there any different mindset or you're just like, Hey, I'm here to do my job. And I'm pumped to race a, a whole peloton of really fast people versus at a one, two race. There's maybe 20 guys that can compete with you guys. Well, any different mindset or, and if there is, what's yeah. different about it and how do you like get your head in the game? I always think it's harder to win a one, two race than like go to the UCI race and like execute and like have success. Interesting. And it, and it always comes down to like how other people perceive you. Mm-hmm. where like at Joe Martin, we have the freedom to like execute our team plan. Mm-hmm. And at a one, two race, it's very much like everybody depends on you to dictate the entire race and not yeah. just like how your team kind of interacts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's cool. Uh, I think there's like probably an increased level of seriousness for us at UCI races and, and big like team goal kind of races, but it, it almost comes down to like how much time we spend with the plan and making sure that everybody's on board and able to execute like their job. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like a one, two race. You just like, you're like, well, there's a hill in it. And like, let's just not chase each other down, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I think the the seriousness obviously ratchets up, but, um, I, I like that more, you know, the, the more structure that you can get in like the, the pre-planning and things, the more you can learn from kind of the results. And, um, and that's always fun to do like kind of a debrief and be like, mm-hmm. man, like we actually did really well here and we need to like do this differently mm-hmm. next time. Do you get nervous or like anxious before races at all? Not usually. Um, usually things that are like, uh, if there's like a, a challenging, like a job that I have to do, sometimes I go a little nervous for it. Um, mm-hmm but mainly like in crits and things that are like uh, that you can't exert like maximal force and just have that be the control over the whole race. Um, 
but yeah, I think like a lot of stuff, um, I just go and execute, especially mm-hmm. I don't get nervous before time trials at all. Yeah. I think I was actually thinking about that. You're probably like one of the first true TT people that I talked to and I by no means TT person, but the one I was trying to get into them, they never felt as nerve wracking because it was just me. It was, I like riding a threshold and I was like, I just need to get better at trying to be arrow. And, you know, it, I don't know. It's just a different, different vibe of the TT. I, I, I agree. It's just, it's a good discipline for sure. I wish it was more popular. I know. Um, yeah, me too. What's so man, we have maybe like 10 minutes left. Uh, yeah. Let's talk nutrition and equipment. And um, you mentioned like a lot of times people are under fueling for these long mega tempo don't try and ride with Zach Greg on those days. No. What, I think this is like just people under fuel period. What is the, some of the most important things for you about nutrition? Uh, you mentioned post-race like uh, protein and recovery meals, or are you, let's talk pre, during, and post. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think in the buildup to race season, it's very important to start paying attention to your like nutrition stuff when you start paying attention to your time trial stuff in January mm-hmm. and, um, and really have like a, a year long periodization of like how many carbs you're able to consume and like what types of carbs. Um, and so starting that early gives you time to really like slowly ramp up as kind of the workouts themselves get more difficult. Um, and you just stay kind of one step ahead as far as how much you're consuming. So like, um, during the long tempo efforts, I get up to like almost 140 grams of carbs an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically like you do it in those hour long blocks so that if you get gut discomfort from it, you just have like a clearing time where you just roll easy, drink a bunch of water and like wait, reset, try it again. Um, because it's so important, you know, like, even like I race at like 70 kilos, but you know, an hour at, at what I would consider like endurance pace is almost a thousand calories. Yeah. So like if you get behind, it doesn't just affect like your ability to like perform on the day. Um, I think the, yeah, it's like long-term glycogen depletion and even like relative energy deficiency is like so much more common than people really realize. Um, mm. And so basically what that is, is like your, your glycogen is depleted. And when your body receives fuel to like replenish that store, it goes first to your organs and like, make sure that you can recover as like a functioning human being before it like allows you to adapt and recover as an athlete. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm big on like fueling the ride, even if it's like kind of a simple, straightforward endurance ride. Like I'm, I'm almost always at 60 grams of carbs an hour or more, Mm -hmm. um, and some days that doesn't leave me a whole lot of food for off the bike, but like, whatever, man, I'll, I'll like be in a surplus. It's fine. Um, but yeah, like you can't, you can't underfuel the bike stuff because it just has an impact on the rest of your day. hundred mm-hmm. percent. What are you eating during road races or yeah, road races? Yeah. Are you so eating all these time trials actually? Uh, no. And I never, I've never taken a drink in a time trial either. Mm. Um, so sometimes I'll like bring a gel and put it like in the kind of nape of my skin suit. Um, but only if there's like a definitive place to actually take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I'll, I'll take some stuff on the start line too. Like I'll take a gel okay. on the start line with like a swig of water and just rinse your mouth out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm like too focused on other stuff. Even I've like brought gels and not taken them. So, um, but yeah, in a, in a road race, it's I'd like uh, a big breakfast and then probably about 90 grams of carbs an hour. Um, and then, you know, if you're like trying to make the break and things like that, it's just chaos. Then you bump it up a little bit. And so what I always do is I have basically like three pockets um, and I try and keep track of how many wrappers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like a little pocket manipulation action happening there. So like the two outside ones will usually be like gels and then the middle one will be solid food. Mm-hmm. Um and so I'll take the gel wrappers and put them in the middle and then it'll kind of give me an idea of like how much, how much mm-hmm. I've already consumed. Um, and you can kind of feel around in the middle pocket and be like, all right, well, there's three like solid things and five mm-hmm. empty gels in here. So it's like, you can kind of do the math. Um, but that keeps me honest, right? Like there's so many times where you're having so much fun trying to make the break and like riding super hard. And then you're like, you look down at your garment and it's like 
been 90 minutes and you've had one swig of water and like one gel <laughs> and you're like, all right, boys, like I'm out for like an hour. See ya. <laughs> like, and you just have to like, you can't, um, you have to stay on top of fueling like that. Um, and then, yeah, so I think, but it all depends on how much you can handle too. So like for five straight hours, I can do 130 grams of carbs an hour with no gut issue, but that's mm-hmm. not everybody, you know, mm-hmm. Steven Vogel, like, a man after both of our own hearts, like can do some absurd amount, 160, 170, wow. but he like needs to, because he's like tall in stature. He doesn't yeah. do a ton of Watts. Um, so yeah, it, it's one of those things that you start practicing now and see what you can handle. And then from that, you just keep pushing up against that number and you'll adapt in the same way that you adapt to anything else. I can't wait to see in five years what number we're talking about because even Steven Bass was hitting me up and he's like, dude, what do you do? What do you do for drink mix these days? And so we started talking like, well, what do you, how many carbs are you doing uh, per hour these days? He's like 150, definitely on race day, sometimes hard training, 150. And it's just, yeah, I mean, crushing. And I always think there are some long rides where you go to the store and you buy the candy and you buy soda at like hour five. And then I add things up. I'm like, wait, I'm definitely way higher than I would have if I just like mathed it out. So I think just our absorption rate as we continue to eat more and more and we absorb more and more, it's going to, yeah, it's going to get high. We're going to get freakishly carby. Um, And then real quick post race and you're flowing, but if you had the choice, what would you go for? Um, man, I, I eat what I enjoy eating. So it's like a cereal with like a protein milk over the top of it. So okay. like make, make a protein shake <laughs> on top of your cereal. And it's like as decadent as anything, you know? <laughs> and like, we just like, we hound cereal. It's absurd. They like get mad at us. They're like, we're not buying you guys any more cereal. We're like, then give us the car keys. We're eating cereal. <laughs> and, um, then like two hours post is like, you know, a pile of rice and veggies and some chicken yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, Tyler Stites is the serial killer. Like the really? he eats dino bites, which is like an enriched uh, Rice Krispie treat. Yeah. Uh, like that's for, in Walmart, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Like. I think that's Grant Koontz's favorite. He, I've cut back on the cereal. I just, cause I don't, I can't keep it to just like a post mega ride. And that's was a problem. And Chris Carlson, who's like OG, you know, uh, do you know Chris? He just has won a so. ton of, he's like 50 something now, has won a ton of masters. He just won a masters world championship, I think. Nice. Uh, still races some P1 stuff. But, anyways, he's selling me at, it might have been Joe Martin. And we were walking with cereal. He's like, dude, what are you eating? And I'm like, cereal. There's like tons of carbs in this. And we have a lot of biking to do. He's like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, cereal. I have, Maybe, maybe pre-race, I'll get back into some, but um, equipment. This is probably right up your alley. We probably should have left more time for this. Um, what's kind of unique about your time trial setup? I'd say the thing that everybody like uh, keys on is like the watch shop bars. Um, they're like super expensive, but basically like they're not the end all to be all. And they didn't actually save me that much power like in, the, in themselves. So I think you have to like look critically at, at your bike and see what it needs. Mm. uh to be more like speedy so basically like those bars or any customized aero bars will save you like two watts in and of themselves but for me on the argon it allowed me to completely like get a different uh position uh the arm cup reach on my bike was super short and so the like plates and things on the watch out bars allowed me to get like six centimeters more reach out forward um and i have pretty long torso so it was like the position it allowed me to be in was significantly faster as a result. Um, so yeah, thinking about things like that, where it's not about like just throwing money and finding the fastest things like on paper, mm-hmm. it's, it's all about like how quick you can make your position and how sustainable your position is and, and everything from that and then work backwards from there. So, so let me ask you, so if you, I don't know anything about the wind tunnel, really, if you, are back in February and this, these new bars allowed you more reach. How are you able to deduce that? Are you on a jig of some sort there or you're, I would assume you're on your bike and are you just like fudging, like leaning more forward or like, how do you come up with that? Yeah. It's, it's a lot of like setting up a trainer in your basement (laughs) and like measuring things out and kind of like figuring out what, what could be different or or whatever. Mm -hmm. And seriously, it's like the eyeball wind tunnel. Get okay. you like 85% of the way there. And then 
so yeah, hopefully this year I get to go back in the tunnel because I didn't go last year. Um, cool. But those are where you do either like complete uh, breakdowns and, and like new positions and try them and see if they're more aerodynamic because it would be better power output. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're like figuring out hand positions and like testing socks and minutia. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of everything in between, if it like looks faster, it might be faster. And that's where, you know, then you go back to like, does it feel good? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's this constantly evolving process of like tweaking things. Um, but yeah, I just knew like from looking at pictures of, of myself on the bike that like more total reach at the arm pad was like an important thing for me and, and like my like morphology. Yeah. Cool. What do you guys go to? You said it was after team camp. Do you go to a wind tunnel out West? Uh, we went to a two in Charlotte. Oh, cool. Okay. I was actually going to say like, cause I know Matt Zimmer went to school around here and yep. I'm in blowing rock, North Carolina. So yeah, and I coached Elise McCraig. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> very, very right around the corner. Yep. Um, so I guess to conclude it all, what would, what do you, where are you trying to go with this? What do you, what's the long-term Zach Gregg goals? Yeah, I think it's twofold, right? So the, the first thing is like continue to compete and improve and like push myself and have fun with it. Um, and the other side of the coin is like by, by doing that, not only because it's my personal ambition, I also gain the experience that I can pass on to others, mm-hmm. uh, which is really important to me, right? Because to take somebody somewhere that you've never personally been takes like a considerable amount of like spitballing and like Mm -hmm. guesswork where if you've been there and you you've done it not only is it easier for you to like perceive them there and them doing it um but you understand the pathway a little bit better so Mm -hmm. and they can also like trust you that Mm -hmm. oh yeah you know like this guy knows time trials like it makes sense for us to work together because that's like what i want to do um so yeah a, a lot of it is about like making me a better coach um, and continue to like, uh, fill that com- consp- competitive, like desire. Um, yeah. but you know, I don't think, I think I'm going to be on project echelon for as, as long as they're going to have me, if this, <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I want to win as many races with like my friends and because it like means a lot to us, not because like, I think that there's another team that's going to pay me and like, that's yeah. going to be a better experience. Man, that's awesome. I think. Uh, Brendan Rim was just on. He had said, you know, I'm just trying to squeeze the most juice out of this as possible. And I, I, it's important. I I mean, both of you guys saying that it feels really good to hear because I'm 40 and I'm like, what the hell am I still doing like racing? I really love it. And I'm, I'm still finding ways to become a better coach. And I'm finding ways to be a better human. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, it's not that bad. It just, uh, it's really nice to hear other athletes just giving honest opinions of why you're cracking every workout and going after it. Um, last question, selfishly for the listeners, what do you think when you think back, maybe a couple things that have been a good piece of advice, whether it's something somebody told you, something you want to just pass on to others. Um, yeah, just some, some good parting words. Um, I, I always go back to like, you have to go slow to, to go fast, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a thing that you can kind of carry over into a, in a lot of different facets of your life that, you know, that you should be enjoying the entire process and it shouldn't be like crushing you year round, you know, because I think we like, we live in an area era of like instant gratification. And, you know, this sport is completely the opposite of that where it's like he who has most patience prospers most at the end of like, at the end of the year because you know if if you just rush things and you're super tired all the time and you're just smashing your head against the wall like you're going to be out of the sport like it's it's frustrating Ooh, but, but that's just how it is like it's so easy to burn out um yeah and i think like like you just mentioned about like why we do this like you have to love it it can't be for a paycheck it can't because you know you have the watts per kg to get on this team like it's, it's like, because you love it and you want to continue to improve at it, that you continue doing it. Um, so, you know, and if, if that's like, somebody's like, man, I don't love this, then good. Go find something you love doing. Yeah. Cause like doing anything at like an elite or like pro level is freaking hard. And, mm. you know, if you just hate it, then 
there's something better out there for you. So I always, you know, I had to like give up lacrosse like three, three months before the end of that season. Cause I was just so beat up and so like tired and exhausted. And in the moment, it's like the worst thing to do, but you look back on it and it's like, man, I had like six more years of like quality, competitive, fulfilling experiences. Like my best friends all ride bikes. Um, and it's because like in that moment I wasn't having fun and I was willing to like drop everything and just move on. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a grim, grim way to end it, but like, no, man, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, I had a, there was a, a, a really talented guy, the cat one racer and doing some big races. And one thing that he started to ramp up volume before we started working together last year. And he said to me, he's like, if I start doing like 20 hour weeks, am, am I going to be much better this year? And I was like, well, okay, I'm not going to, I can't promise you that. I said, volume is a good thing. But think of this more for like down the road of you racing like three, four or five years. Like, yeah, the more you do year after year is going to be good. He's like, well, I might only be in this for like another year. And I was like, oh, well, that changes things. I mean, no, because it sounds like you're doing this to maybe be better in these races. But is this going to affect work and like your relationships? And you know, do you really like doing this? Or are you just here to like get on the podium? And it was a really interesting conversation. The love was not there. And I think it's that's OK. But I think athletes should just be aware of that, that endurance sports, you got to want to do the training. It's got to be fun. You got to go want to ride your bike. And yeah, you've, you've said, I really appreciate you coming and doing this. I mean, you said a lot of um, besides the nitpicky Watt stuff, like just general how to enjoy cycling as a sport, because I think it's, I wish more endurance sports were popular in the U S um, I think I would have been a much better teen 20 year old adult if i knew about these and was participating in them there's like track mm-hmm. but at least in my world like that was kind of it it was all team sports and so any any anything i miss i try not to like read through the questions too much was there anything that i didn't hit on that you want to talk about um no i think i think we covered a lot of stuff um cool. yeah and i i would like to say like yeah like endurance sports are like so meaningful and the structure and things that are associated with us riding our bikes um are actually like fantastic for the veterans and people suffering with ptsd that we end up serving Mm -hmm. um and so yeah if there's any listeners or, or people that your listeners know that are interested in using endurance sports and they have like uh served they currently serve in the military like we're here to help them that's awesome and like it's not just project echelon, like the race team, it is project echelon, the veteran community. And like, it's, it's been like totally powerful for, for the people that we have served so far to have that structure and mentorship from the elite racers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always like more capacity to serve more people. And there's, there's always the desire from, from us to do that. So yeah, if, if anybody's listening, wants to learn more about project echelon, like that would be, uh, That'd be huge. And, and we're definitely here for them. What's the best way for them to reach out just through like Instagram? Is there a specific person? Is it, what's the best route? Yeah. So the, the website, there's a contact form on there. Um, and yeah, literally just name that you served, uh, and, uh, and we'll get back with you. Cool. And we have a lot of free swag. All of our industry sponsors for the race team are also sponsors for the veterans. So, um, you know, if you're hesitant, you're like, Oh, you know, we get it all the time. It's like, Oh, I, I serve, but I'm not like, beat up and it's like man we don't care like if all you want is the discounts like you earned them so <laughs> take advantage <laughs> there you go for free stuff discounts here we go yep yep zach thank you man appreciate, appreciate you doing this. this hopefully we uh cross paths on the bike and um maybe spring race or something who knows i might be in a master's field though so i'll wave to you guys <laughs> take care and uh we'll talk we'll catch up soon awesome thank you all right see you man